This is the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss and eternity. This is episode 39 of the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I have a really exciting episode today. I spoke to the incredible Margaret Stunt about her life journey, her faith, healing, transformation and many crazy stories. Margaret speaks about her troubled childhood in London, the ups and downs of marriage, coming to faith in Jesus in an incredible way, surviving abuse, illness, and all kinds of difficulties. Margaret speaks incredibly about Jesus, about the Bible, about the miraculous and the supernatural, and about how all these things impact her day-to-day, her now, and her future. And please don't forget that you can like, favorite, follow, rate, review, and share the podcast through iTunes and through SoundCloud. I'd so appreciate it if you did that. If you get something out of this podcast, then somebody else probably will too. So yeah, feel free to do that. And I'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to email me, you can do so to hello at rachelahogan.com. So that's hello at R A C H E L. A-H-O-G-A-N.com. Just a warning to listeners that this episode does contain some quite heavy themes, including themes of abuse and of suicide. So if this raises any issues for you, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. And if you're in any immediate danger, contact emergency services. This conversation absolutely blew me away. And so I hope that you really enjoy it and get as much out of it as I did. So listen in as Margaret opens up about her journey. There's so much hardship, but so much triumph, and I know you'll be inspired. I grew up in London, um, in just northwest London on the tube line, Wilsman Green, not far from Wembley Stadium, which people kind of know if they don't know a lot about London because of all the football. Um, fourth child of a family of four. Crazy parents, one was an alcoholic and one was a manic depressive schizophrenic. So interesting childhood. Yeah. What are some of your early memories? None of them good. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I, it wasn't easy, um, yeah. I think. Just being aware as a child of whispers and shouts in the kitchen and being told to leave the room and obviously no unity um, and no real affection from anybody. Okay. Um, so that was just my dad never, ever touched us, never held our hands. He might put his hand on our shoulder when we were very little if we were crossing the road. Yeah. But they weren't particularly affectionate. And how much were you aware of at a young age? Um, yeah, because I'm very talkative and I ask lots of questions. So I was, I've always been like that. So I asked, you know, lots of things. And I watched other people and I thought, why do their dads do that? And why does my mum do that? Why are they so different? Mm. So even when I was, I went to a private school because they were very funny. I'm like, they were crazy, but they sent us to a private school where we spoke French, you know, two days a week from the time when I was three. Wow. So educationally, a great start. Mm. Um, you know, joined up writing because when I went to, to public school, then they're like, you need to print. I'm like, I don't know how to do that because I learned to, to. So it was crazy. So I felt like, why would they do that? And then send me somewhere where I had to relearn rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was a bit strange. 
And the understanding of mental illness and alcoholism back then, very different. Very different. Not talked about. Nobody really understood. I knew he drunk. I knew he got drunk. I knew she was weird. Mm. Strange. Yeah. Knew she wasn't like other mums. Couldn't have put a name on it. Mm. And really didn't put a name on it until I was about... I was think thirteen, I think, when she when I had her committed, and I was the only one at home. Wow! And everyone thought because she could present really well. Okay. Um, so if you take her to the doctor, she'd be quite sane. Yeah. And it used to drive us crazy. Yeah. We like she behaved like she she went into the doctor's like she was normal, um, and it took a while for people to realise that actually what she was doing and thinking weren't normal. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so I went with her the first time um, with a with a doctor, a community doctor, and had her committed, which was awful. Yeah. And to leave her there. And we're talking 50s. Wow. It wasn't nice. It wasn't nicely done. It wasn't sheltered in any way. Mm. Um, I can remember on one visit, I was probably... Well, it's probably 12 when she was committed. I was probably 13. I went to visit, and there was a, a woman who'd set light to herself running down the road when I arrived. And you saw that? Yeah. Wow. I saw lots of strange, crazy things. Wow. And she was in a locked ward for some of her time. They're not all of it, but they're never places that really. Now a child wouldn't even go in there. The first time I took her, they left me there. I, I used to phone up and I phoned once and said, my mum needs an ambulance. And they're like, we don't give a man, an ambulance for the mentally ill. Oh. So I said, it's okay, I'll push her down the stairs. You can collect her at the bottom. Oh. And he went, oh, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been quite bold. <laughs> I'm like, this is madness. Um, and so they took me in a sit-up ambulance. Um, and then they left me there in the middle of a very big complex of a it it was like an estate a mental illness hospital unit with houses everywhere units everywhere a sanatorium and they just left me like and how would i find the bus stop and you're 13 (laughs) yeah so before this your parents had split up yeah they did they split up when i was about eight Mm. and so you're a smart kid survival smart yeah and how did you get on at school? Uh, difficult because my mum, once I became my, I, my mum left my dad, I became her carer. Mm. So I changed schools like 13, 14 times. Wow. So, because she would be paranoid. So we'd, I'd get home from school and she, we can't live here anymore. And she would pack and we'd have to go and find somewhere else. So that could be out of a school district. That could be somewhere totally different. And then sometimes she'd go back to that area and I'd go back to school, borrowed uniforms. None of which was nice. Um, I went to a school that my cousins went to at at one point, and they were quite nice to me. They kind of lent me reasonable uniforms and kind of watched out for me. But it was always difficult because it was like, we've got an extra mouth to feed. It wasn't easy. Yeah. So, yeah, it was... And people would, I'd go back to school and people would say, where have you been? I'm like, oh, you don't want to know. So, yeah, I didn't learn to spell very well because that's when you learn to spell take your spelling book home yeah and uh, I had no one to take it home to because she was normally in hospital or not coherent or not interested wow and was religion or God or any spirituality part of your thinking or your world my mom was a Catholic Mm. 
my dad never went and I went to a Catholic church in the centre of London because we moved to Victoria which is and there's a cathedral there Mm -hmm. so I went to a cathedral Catholic school and hated it yeah hated it all girls put my head down the toilet because I didn't learn my catechism Um, (laughs) yeah interesting (laughs) I was like okay Um, and every Monday they would ask were your parents in church and because my dad never went I had to say no and so I was always ostracized like you know father's not in church you know so they the guilt thing was huge Hmm. it's like you know and they do it publicly why is your father not in church so much responsibility put oh, on you. On, for, yeah, for their, he's yeah. what he never went ever. I'm like, I'm just saying to him, go and ask him yourself. And I'm like, he works, you know. Yeah. And, but I couldn't say he works in a pub because, you know, alcohol and the sin thing. Okay. So, yeah, so you had to be quite savvy, quite young. And could you kind of see outside of outside of your childhood, did you know what you wanted to do when you grew up? No, I didn't really. I didn't know kind of where it could go. Yeah. I kind of did hairdressing because I'm a people person. Mm-hmm. So I started as a Saturday girl, used to do lots of Jewish women's hair and talk for hours, which they loved. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I tra- started my training as a hairdresser. So I did that for a couple of years. But all my friends would have Saturday off and we'd go out Saturday night, but I'd have to go straight from work, mm. you know, and Thursday night was late night shopping and I'd be working. Oh. I'm like, no, <laughs> this is so not the deal. Yeah. So that's why I stopped. And then I went into office. Um, I did computer stuff wow. in central London. Okay. And you came to a point though in amongst that time where you didn't want to continue yeah. life. It's yeah. true. 16. Took wow. a massive overdose. Uh, wasn't a cry for help. Really wasn't. I didn't think anybody could help me. My mum was in hospital. My brother had moved back to, because my brother, I, the two older ones, there's 11 years difference. So they were kind of already moved on. But my other brother is only 18 months older than me. Mm-hmm. So he stayed with my dad for quite a long time. But then he came to my mum's because it was messy. Um, so he lived with my mum and I on the sofa. Didn't have a room. I shared a bedroom with my mum. She didn't always sleep. Um, and so she was in hospital. My brother was working in Scotland. Um, so he went Monday and came back Friday. And his job cancelled when he came home. I was furious. I thought, I can't even die in peace. I'm like, how could he come home? This is so not the deal. So I refused to be pumped out of the hospital. I was a bit of a nightmare. Um, so they took my clothes away and was like things. But at the time, for me, it felt like, leave me alone. And what led you to that point? Obviously, there was a lot of horrible circumstance. You just felt like there was no hope. Yeah, I just felt like, what is the point? Yeah. I'm going round and round and round in circles. Mm. Um, my mum was back in hospital. I'd been engaged by then and broken up with someone. Oh. Um, and and he, he, it wasn't him. He might have been the spark. He certainly wasn't the flame. Mm. But it was that one more thing. So after you did live, what what was your thinking from there? What was your I was plan? Kinda, I, I was cross. So I phoned my sister um, and I said, because they took my clothes away and they gave me one of those flappy gowns. And you were still in there. And I was in the hospital. Oh. And I said, if you don't come and get me, I'm going to run down the high street with this thing on. And they were quite well known. So she's like, oh, okay. But of course she didn't want to come and get me. Not because she doesn't love me, but she's like, I was scared. What if you do it? What if she does it again? And yeah. All of those things. 
And we're never good when people attempt suicide because we don't know what to say. And so it's not an easy, really, all I wanted was her to ask me, are you going to do it again? Mm. Um, and at that point, I was. Wow. <laughs> and so I stayed with her for a couple of days, convinced her I was fine, which I was good at. You have to be, don't you? Otherwise, you don't survive in those things. Mm. Um, and so I convinced her. Obviously, I'd had a crazy upbringing by then. I'd been abused. I'd been, And I think that was part of the overdose, is I'd been abused by a man who abducted me off the streets when I lived with my parents, mm. and then by lesbians over a long period of time, and then by a family member. So I think put that all together, yeah. having no voice in any of that, and never having told anybody, I just thought, nobody gets it. Wow. I'm not worth anything. And you must, this person is not worth it. So, but I came home and I thought, do you know what, if I die, they win. Mm. So the abusers didn't just get my body, they will have got me and that would really annoy me. So I won't die. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> it wasn't for a good motive, but it worked. I was like, no, I'm not going to let them win. Yeah. yeah. It's that survivor thing again. And you shortly after met Fred, yeah, your husband. I did. He was so brave to take me on because I looked really cute. <laughs> yeah. 60s, you know, long hair. Great on the outside, yeah. Total mess on the inside, um, but he was very brave and he took me on, <laughs> and we got married, and then we had our daughter, yeah. Um, who, but I had a crazy pregnancy when I was pregnant. I was epileptic, diabetic, lost my hair, lost my teeth. They found out I had four kidneys, and my prognosis was not great. Yeah, wow. um, and so it was like, oh, this is supposed to, again looking and thinking everybody has children and they're fine. Mm. I'm not. Yeah, crazy run of events. <laughs> you know, you look at it and just think, I've watched so many people. My sister's got four children. She had them at home. Wow. I had a cesarean. Um, you know, it was like, this is crazy. Mm. So I felt, again, a real failure. Just thought, this is crazy. I was sterilized when I was 21. They wouldn't do that now. No. Um, but I was physically not in a great place. Um, and I was having big seizures. I wasn't just having fits. I was falling down. And wow. So had to train our daughter to go and sit on the sofa if, if mummy fell on the floor. Okay. Not, not ideal. <laughs> and what was that like? Because you just mentioned, like, you were a mess on the inside, but you are able to control that outer appearance. Having that control taken off of you yeah what was that like yeah it was another moment where you have to think okay this is not quite how i thought it was going to be yeah and again a feeling of failure okay and i i can't i can't control it yeah because this and everybody else seems to do this really well but not me mm. you know and all my friends came to visit and they'd look at me and go bye and you could hear them as they walk away say, I'm never having a baby. Have you seen the state of her? Oh, <laughs> wow. So I was a bit of a mess. Throughout all this time, all this horrific stuff happening to you, obviously your experience of religion, your perception of God was not good. Did that ever come back into your thinking? No, I just thought if there was a God, where was he? So if I, if I thought about it, it'd be like, well, if there is, why has all this happened? The big questions. Yeah. You know, where were you? Mm. And why? And why do I have crazy parents? And 
why does nobody really care about me and why do I have to do everything myself and why do I have to be this independent um, and why can't I just have a baby like everybody else? Why can't it be normal? Yeah. And then there was no answer, so I just carried on. Mm. So you carried on, but your marriage hit a difficult place. Yeah, I think because we we never stopped loving each other, yeah. but we got busy, as many people who are listening are doing the same thing even right now. We get busy, and nobody. we didn't sit down one day and think, let's destroy our marriage. No. <laughs> nobody does that. No. no one. It just it creeps in. It's, it's like he was working, I was working, we lived outside London. We just got very, very disconnected. Um, and I'm very stubborn. I was even more then. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is not going to work. And I really was afraid he was going to reject me. Okay. So fear for me is always a driver. Yeah. I know now God leads, but fear drives. Wow. Um, and so I was driven. I thought he's going to reject me. So before he rejects me, I'm going to reject him. So we were at a party and I'm like, I think we should get divorced. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and he went, if that's what you want, right, fine, that's what we'll do. Oh. And we were both hurting, but we didn't know how to put words around that. Right. And that wasn't what he wanted either, but it was like, oh, well, she's rejecting me. And I thought, and he wasn't going to reject me. What a nonsense. Mm. And often we do that, I think, as people. We often make decisions in the light of somebody else's, what they, we think someone else is going to do. Mm. And he wasn't going to reject me. He was just having a, a moment. He was working and, and doing and playing football and doing other things, but he wasn't going to reject me. Mm. But because of my history... I still hadn't told anybody about any of it. Okay. Um, and so he left. We were trying to sort out selling a house and looking after our daughter and making that work and telling her. She was amazing. I said to her that we were getting divorced. She said, I said, I hope he hasn't put you off marriage. And she said, no, I'll just think about it before I do it. Out of the mouth of babes. Oh. Yes, that would be a good idea. <laughs> um, and told her that her dad loved her and I loved her. It really was our problem and not hers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then found a lump in my breast, which was like, no way, I don't have time for this. Yeah. So I went to the doctors and just, I thought he'd say it's a cyst, go home, you know. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I'm concerned. I'm like, oh, don't be concerned. Um, so I had to tell Fred. So um, then, every, I mean, this is like, I don't know, 40 odd years ago, more than 40 years ago, I think now. Um, and then it, you just had a mastectomy. There was no choices. Okay. Um, but I had a friend who was a nurse. And I said to her, are there choices? And she said, well, you could have a lumpectomy. So I'm like, okay, I'll ask them. She said, you'd have to pay for it. So I phoned my, I phoned my mum, or I went to see my mum because she never used to pick the phone up, um, and asked her if she would pay for some surgery. And she said, yes, she'd never asked what for. But she paid for it, so I was grateful. Wow. So I had it done privately. So yeah. Fred came home to look after Jane. And when I came out of hospital, he said, what do you want to do? Now we're divorced. Mm. I said, I'd like to go around Europe in a camper. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what Australians do. And we knew so many Australians who, had, who we'd met who came to England and then got a camper van and went around Europe. So I'm like, that's really what I'd like to do. Now, you have to remember, I'm an epileptic, so I don't drive. Yeah, right. <laughs> so he's like, why don't we? Oh, it's nice. 
So I couldn't give him lots of reasons. Why not? Yeah. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. People thought we were mad. <laughs> you're divorced and you're going around your bit of camper van. Yep, and we're selling our house and giving all our stuff away. Wow. Um, and when I told my mum we were divorced, she said, do you mean you're not talking to him? I'm like, no, I mean we're divorced. <laughs> wow. Which she said, well, that must be your fault. Oh. Mm. <laughs> I learned not to have the conversation because it never stayed anywhere sensible. So I'm like, probably. Mm. But again, that reinforced that whole thing of you're not worth anything. Mm. Of course, it would be my fault. Of course. That's really tough. Yeah. And how was the trip? It was life-changing. Yeah. <laughs> because we were sitting on a Greek island um, on Crete, listening to an American airbase because there was nothing. It was coming to the end of the season. Yeah. Um, and we had a big camper van, you know, with a, lots of space and a top bed for Jane and things. Um, and so we were running a campsite. Um, and so we met loads of travellers and had a great time. Um, mm. And these Americans came. And when you're travelling, books are a prize. Yeah. I mean, people swap books. You go anywhere for a book. Mm. Um, and they came down, and I saw his number plates, and I thought, oh. Now, the American airbase had food, proper food, and movies. <laughs> Junk food. I'm like, yes, this will work. <laughs> um, so I was really nice to him. I'm like, hi, can I help? <laughs> But I, I said, we'd really like to go on the base. Uh, it turns out, long story short, he was a Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I'm not interested in God. I'm interested in movies mm. and food. Because <laughs> <laughs> he said, will you come to church? I'm like, no. I want to go to the food shop. They call it the BX. I want to go there and I want to go to the movies. I'd like some English-speaking company-ish for yeah. my daughter. That's it. Mm. So I was very uh, out there. No, thank you. Um, but they were really kind mm. and they came down with food and we had a barbecue on the beach but they kept talking about Jesus and I'm like look we're English we talk about the weather mm. we don't talk about Jesus Yeah. in every breath so can we stop this and so then he carried on talking about Jesus it was like oh what in the world but they were so nice oh. and like when you say they talk about Jesus like how so? Just well, they'd say things like, isn't it wonderful that Jesus brought you here? I'm like, no, we drove. I think like, um, I don't know if it's modern Western culture or whatever, or maybe it's Australian culture, but I think Christians are reluctant to speak colloquially from their worldview. But even though that frustrated you, would you see that as positive? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because it made me, at least they believed and knew what they believed. Yeah, right. I was quite fascinated by that. I'm like, they they seem very certain about this. Mm. You know, I think once when we were divorced, we went to someone's house who was a Christian and they said grace. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And they said, I hope you don't mind, we're going to say grace. I'm like, it's your table. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said grace, like the Americans said grace, they talked about the Bible. They talked about what Jesus had done in their lives, which I now know is kind of like their story, mm. which I found people are fascinating. I found it quite fascinating. Yeah. I just wasn't interested in church. Mm. So they used to meet on a Friday. So they picked Jane. I, they said, come to church. I said, as long as afterwards I can go to the 
shops and buy some food and arrange for Jane to go to the movies. So he was like, yeah. So Fred said, I'm not coming. You'll be an embarrassment. I'm like, me? Oh. <laughs> As if. He's like, yeah, you'll say stuff they don't want to hear. I'm like, no. So we go in the car, Jane and I. They come and pick us up. They come in twos, which I now know is quite biblical. Didn't then. Um, but they came in twos. And so we were sitting in the back of the car. And he said, well, we're an axe church. So I said to Jane, oh, we're not going to the church. We're going to the theatre. There'll be Acts 1, Acts 2. Oh. <laughs> they're talking about the book of they Acts. They were talking about a book in the Bible I had never read. <laughs> and so they're talking in this language that was like, uh, Acts, oh, a theatre. That's the only time. I've been to the theatre, Acts 1, Acts 2. You've got a drink in between. Um, <laughs> Sounds all right. <laughs> I thought this is going to be great. Um, and then when we got to the airbase, they played war games and they cancelled church. So oh. they, so the guys had to stay because they were in the military and the women brought me home. Uh-huh. And the women were really kind. Mm. And I hadn't seen that many kind women. Mm. I think women can be great, but they can be mean. Yeah. And they were lovely. I'm like, oh, these are nice people. It's very awkward because I'm not feeling right nice right now. Um, mm. But they were really nice. Um, and they came. They invited us back for a barbecue in the week, still talking about Jesus all the time, which I found really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but they were kind. And then the last week, Fred, and then the next week, they cancelled church. And I said to Fred, see, Christians always let you down. They're useless people. They always say they can do things and they can't. Mm. They're just like us, humans. <laughs> <laughs> and the following week, we Fred said he was coming. Why? I don't know. I've, I've asked him before. He said, I really don't know why I said I'd come. He said, I think he thinks too that it was because they were nice. Mm. And I think we forget how much kindness unlocks people. Yeah. You know, I think we always think. It's talking to people. Actually, kindness does more, acts of kindness. There's nothing random about them. You have to be thinking about them. Mm. Um, and I think that's he found them nice mm. and good company. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said, yeah. Um, and the guy preached, you know. Uh, they kept talking about the word. So I thought there was a password. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're talking about the Bible. They were talking about, but they that's said, the funny. word says... What word? <laughs> is there a password for this church? Is there, is, did anybody mention it to you? Do you know what the word is? It was so funny. Yeah. Um, uh, but I now know he preached a, a very basic gospel message. He talked about Jesus. He talked about him dying for us. He talked about him um, being our saviour. Mm. I wasn't interested. I mm. just thought a lot of it was nonsense. I thought at one point he said, if you feel like God has spoken to you, I'm like, this man's on drugs. Mm. God doesn't talk to ordinary people. Mm-hmm. He's far too busy with wars yeah, and rumors right. of wars. He said, why would you talk to him? Who is he? He doesn't talk to people. Mm. I had no sense of a personal God. I had a God out there somewhere. I, I didn't ever think that we had created Earth. Okay. I knew there was a God. I just didn't have any reference for him. Mm-hmm. Never saw him as a father. I, didn't. I just thought, yeah, there's a God because this world is too crazy to make itself. And if if... You know, we were taught evolution. And even as a young person, I said to my teacher, so evolution by its essence means we get better. Mm. I can't (laughs) see that happening anywhere, can you? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. 
so that was kind of I knew evolution wasn't the answer and obviously in the 60s 70s it was a big deal um, and I was like well I can't see anybody evolving into anything better than they've been before so I don't believe that one wow um, so this man was talking about a, a God that cared who loved words that I wouldn't have put together God mm. Almighty I could see the bigness the bigness of God the Catholic mm. you know God Almighty um, but he said you know if you feel God speaking to you I'm like, oh, it's on drugs mm. um, and you know he said no matter how good you are you're not going to heaven because Jesus is the only way I thought who's he to judge who's going to heaven I'll speak to him afterwards I was ready I was taking notes yeah. by then I'm like who says who's going to heaven mm. um, anyway at the end he said if you feel like God's spoken to you put your hand up and Fred, who is nothing like me, quiet, reserved English person of the earth, put his hand up. Oh. <laughs> and Jane put hers up. She was 10. Wow. And she put her hand up. I'm like, put your hands down. We came for food. <laughs> we did not come for any of this Jesus stuff. Put your hands down. And they kept their hands up, ignoring me. <laughs> um, and then he said, if you feel like God's spoken to you and you've raised your hands, come to the front. I thought, there is a God in heaven because Fred is never going to get out of his seat because he doesn't do that. So as I put my head down, about to thank God in heaven for the fact that Fred wouldn't move, he walked past me. Wow. And Jane is following him. Mm. And I looked at his back and I thought, if he thinks for one minute he's going to heaven without me, he's joking. <laughs> I, I did not get out of my seat for Jesus. I got out of my seat for Fred. It yeah. doesn't matter why you come to church or why you do things. It matters why you stay. Because mm. between my chair and the altar, um, I met Jesus. Wow. And had a very real encounter. Yeah. I mean, like, once I was blind. And I was writing home, once I was blind and now I can see and they all thought we'd been got by the Moonies. Mm. <laughs> and that's how I felt. I thought once I couldn't see any of this and now I can see it. And the Bible became alive. Everything I read, I'm like, oh, that's so clever. Oh, how good is that? How could he do that? How could... Oh, now this makes sense. Mm. So, which was, for me, it was like the light going on. Wow. So something just flicked it just over. Yeah, for me it was a flick. Fred took a bit longer, mm. but for me between walking and getting to the front and getting on my knees, I was in. Just like a realization. A total realization that mm. I could be forgiven. Mm. And for me, that was huge. Because mm. I think I always blamed myself. Oh. You know. Yeah. I think my dad, because um, this guy who abused me said he knew my dad. He didn't. It was a lie. Mm. But a lie has no power except that you believed it, and I believed it. So I thought my dad sent this guy to abuse me. So I hated my dad from that day. Oh, no. um, and I became difficult. And so, and I know I was difficult, but I wanted someone to say, why are you being so naughty? Mm. And nobody did. Mm -hmm. And so for him, for them, they called me, oh, she's a little madam. Oh, she's difficult. Oh, she's stubborn. So I was like, yeah, I am. I'm all those things and probably a bit more. So to find a Jesus that actually loved me was amazing. You're listening to Sparrows and Wildflowers episode 39 with Margaret Stunt. 
You can listen to other episodes in the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast series by checking iTunes or SoundCloud, like episode four with Andrew Kimball. I realised pretty quick that just saying that you're going to come to any kind of faith, you have to do it for yourself. You have to come to that for your own reasons. Yeah, so I really sort of started to investigate. And I, I started to listen more. Well, actually, I started to listen in the when sermons were going on. I never prayed. I, but I, I, li- I listened. Like, faith is something that you can't really rationalise because it's, it's not something you can see. Like, and for me, that was a really interesting sort of place to come to because... Uh, the, the year previously, I would like laugh at that person. And then one week, I went to one of these friends' church that had a guest speaker. And his what he spoke about was nothing like flash. But then he said, could we just bow our heads in prayer? And I found, I, I found that I was doing that. <laughs> I started to pray, like I was praying along with him. And then I was thinking, like after I was like, wow, what does that mean? maybe I do believe and so then that that following weekend put my hand up when I was in um, in church and I go this is for me that was an excerpt from my conversation with Andrew Kimball in episode 4 of the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast and now back to this episode with Margaret Stunt you talked about feeling having no voice and not a lot of control. Yeah. How did encountering Jesus impact that? It was huge. For me, it was like, oh, lordship. I got lordship. I don't think you can teach lordship. Mm. Jesus is lord. Mm-hmm. I got it. I got it from reading my Bible. I got it from the songs we sung. Okay. Um, I just thought, oh. There was a song, um, B.J. Thomas, using things and loving people, not the other way around. Mm. And that one line, I could go to sleep singing it. I woke up singing it. Um, I'm like, using things and loving people. I'm like, oh, that's a revelation. Mm. You know, oh, oh, maybe, maybe Jesus really could love me then. Wow. Um, and love, and there was another song we sung which said, Love lifted me. And it did. I was seeking, I was sinking deep in sin and love lifted me. And I'm like, yeah, it did. Beautiful. And it lifted me. I was sinking. And I, you know, if you'd have asked me, I, I would have argued, I'm not a sinner, you know, mm. not one of those people. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, but I realized that, you know, I wasn't good. We like to think you were good. Mm. I'm like, well, I'm not bad. I'm not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> we put levels of bad. Yes. But I realized that even if I was good, which I wasn't, <laughs> even if I was good, I had ignored Jesus. Mm. And that's the biggest sin any of us can ever have. Wow. Yeah. To live ignoring the price that he paid for me to have freedom. Wow. So it was a real revelation. Mm. Changed me forever. And you and Fred are divorced at yeah. this point. What <laughs> yeah. happened from there for you We guys? got baptised in water and we got baptised in Holy Spirit on the Greek, on 
Creek. Um, And then we read our Bibles cover to cover, cover to cover. We had nothing else to read. God knew how to get me. (laughs) (laughs) We had nothing else to read. So we read them all day, every day, um, Mm. and then traveled back through Europe. But we saw God miracle after miracle. I mean, we came over the Alps with no petrol and sang and prayed our way over the Alps with an empty tank. Oh, my gosh. We got (laughs) into a country and there was a bank strike and you couldn't get any money and people fed us. Wow. Um, it, it, we just saw miracle after miracle. For us, it was perfect. God knows what we all need. Yeah. For somebody else, that would be who lives in Sydney, that would be like getting a job when you haven't been able to get a job. Mm. You know, when you first come to know him, things happen. Mm. He does things for us. It's like, come on, we're going to build this relationship. You're going to see me in everything. And we did. Wow. Um, and so we came home um, and got remarried. Well, much to the amazement of our family who were all saying we've well, got the same name live together <laughs> right which without jesus we probably would have mm. but the first time we had got married in a registry office and the second time we got married in his house beautiful which was really special yeah and promised him you see when i got married the first time my mum's like you've got to get married in the catholic church i'm like I'm not promising God. I don't even know who he is. I'm not going to his house and using his house to make promises. Wow. So I'm not going there. Okay. You know? And my mum thought, you've got to get married in a church. You've been confirmed. The second time we got married in a church. Mm. Amazing. And did you have to sort through the same issues? Yeah. I think because we were living in the camper, we had to talk about why. Mm and what was different but because we were different i don't think going to church doesn't change you jesus changes you yeah and we were both very different so our priorities were different what we wanted from life was different we wanted to build god's kingdom we wanted to see things happen so we had changed Mm. individually and obviously jane got saved too so we spent time reading our bible and praying so it was very different but what we did agree on was that we wouldn't talk about the past Okay. Which for me was a miracle. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so I have a memory like an elephant and can quote verbatim what people have said. Yeah. Um, and so it was a line in the sand, which we had to keep. Mm. Well, I had to keep because Fred is like moves on. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what did you end up doing like work-wise? Yeah, actually? we came back to England mm. when there was a three-day working week. Okay. Because there was... They had a power crisis. There wasn't enough coal. So you could only work three days of the week. Everybody around the whole of the UK could work for three days. When was this? 80, 1980. Okay. So we came back in to that. So it was like, why are you going back to England? You'll never get a job. Mm. You'll never be able to do anything. And we both had jobs within a week. Really? And that, again, we saw God do what only he can do. Mm. Um, it wasn't a great time to come back. It was three days a week. And then we said, Lord, if you want us to stay, because we wanted to go to America, mm-hmm. to a Bible college in Florida. Okay. Um, we applied and we got in and all of those things came together, but we didn't have a piece. Mm. So instead of that, we said, Lord, if you want us here, we want to buy a house mm-hmm. and we want to buy it before Christmas. And this was the 1st of December. Oh. <laughs> so we'd found this house and nobody works 
the last three weeks, you know, the three weeks into Christmas, especially yeah. the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we moved in on the 23rd of December. Oh, beautiful. We had no furniture. <laughs> the camper van was outside the door. We met a bank manager who we told our story to, mm. who gave us a deposit for a house on the strength of our camper van. Wow. And then when we got to the town we lived in, they're like, how did you get this money? Mm. And we said, oh, the manager in Watford, well, we can't find him. Really? But it was already in our account. Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, we've got lots of stories like that. It's like, we, he came out of his office. We were in, just when he showed him the van, told him our story, talked about Jesus, and gave us a deposit for a house. Incredible. <laughs> Hasn't happened since. <laughs> no, it's not recurring. That's a shame. Yeah. Wow. So were you back working um, in secretarial? No, because when I left, I used to work in a special needs school Mm. with autistic kids. Okay. Um, So I didn't go back in. I was doing reception work in Mm. a company and Fred had his own carpet business before we went and he went back to doing carpets. Okay. But you did go on to plant churches. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So we, we kind of, we looked for a church and we kind of I went we went to a Baptist church for a while didn't really fit can you imagine me going with leather trousers to a Baptist gorgeous <laughs> leather trousers from Italy um, maroon lovely leather trousers which they said was from the devil oh. um, <laughs> okay. so it didn't really sit very well um, and so we kind of like we didn't fit and I thought oh this this is not working I didn't fit in the world and now I have to find a church mm. um, and we went to a, a gathering and saw church like we had got born into. Okay. And so we, they said to us, look, start in your house, let's see what happens. And this is like a Pentecostal style. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and so we started in our house. Wow. And it grew and grew. Who did you invite? Um, just people that we, that I've always been a people person. Yeah. So our daughter, her husband um, obviously came and then I'm like, Let's ask the neighbours. Let's ask whoever we see and yeah. see what happens. And people turned up and people met Jesus and we talked about him like we'd heard, very ordinarily, and they got saved. Beautiful. And we kept doing that and kept doing it and kept doing it. Um, we did street outreaches. We went into community homes. And then I trained as a drugs counsellor mm. because obviously in every country, in every city, in every town, there is an issue with... Um, illegal drugs yeah not because our daughter took them everyone's like did you get involved because your daughter took drugs I'm like no because (laughs) everybody else's children seem to be in that mess and I wanted to be part of the answer and not part of the problem wow and so I worked with the local police um used to go into nightclubs and listen to drum bass and garage music and test drugs and talk to them about stuff till two or three in the morning and then go home have a shower and preach (laughs) amazing (laughs) so it was fun so what would you say was the most challenging about leading a church? Um, I think actually helping people get what we've got, you know, mm. and because when you lead, it's like I've got it, but you have to find it. Jesus yeah. is not easily, you know, he's easy, but he isn't easy. And a lot of people have got backgrounds like mine or, you know, um, and so how it started was that in the Bible, in, in Revelation, it talks about your, your testimony people will get saved by the power of your testimony. So what we'd do is we'd rent um, a room in a hotel, have a meal, 
Um, and I'd be the after dinner speaker and I'd share my story and people would come to know Jesus. Mm. So it was, we made it easy. Yeah. I think we often complicate things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just tried to keep it simple and it worked. But I think the challenge is being, again, for me, being misunderstood. I used to get misquoted all the t- time, which for me was like, this is so unfair. Mm. You know, fourth child, hate being blamed for what you haven't done. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, so for me, that was probably one of the big things. And as a woman was huge because Fred was still working and I was kind of leading. Okay. Um, there was no Joyce Meyer. There was no Bobby Houston. There was no Christine Kane when I started. Yeah. <laughs> well, they were there, but they weren't known. It wasn't. Yeah. Um, so women didn't do what I was doing at all. Mm. So that had a mixed response. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting okay. it. Okay. Mixed. A lot of people just said it's wrong. Okay. I'm like, well, I can't find that in the Bible. Yeah. Um. And I did, I, I did used to stand in my kitchen and think, you made a mistake. Why did you show me all this? You should have shown it to someone else. Wow. So there are challenges, but different. Just different challenges. Yeah, yeah. there's always challenges. And I love this story of how your mum met Jesus. Yes, which was just amazing. She was 73, um, and I'd been a Christian seven years, and I'd prayed and prayed and prayed because the Bible says pray. So I'm like, okay, Jesus, change her, help her, save her, change her, bring her healing. I don't know what she needs because it's all too complex. Mm. Um, And so she was in the hospital. She was spending more and more time in hospital. So she'd spend nine months in, maybe three months out. Mm. Um, And they came to a point where they said, she'll never live in the community again. Not because she was dangerous to anybody else, but she used to run along big motorways, highways, in a nightie Mm. she used to go missing for days we used to have to go have the police try and find her she would just be gone we didn't know where to look um and so they said look she's that's not good for her we need to keep her and i went to a meeting and we were we had a large youth group then so we took them all with us we used to go where people were talking about jesus and doing stuff and this guy was ministering in handkerchiefs and eight in the Bible, there's a guy, I know it sounds weird if you're listening, it's not weird, honestly. It didn't mean he was blowing his nose in hankies. Um, he, in the Bible, Paul, aprons and handkerchiefs were common in those days. And aprons, men wore aprons, like to work him, like mm. leather aprons. They weren't frilly, like, you know, now you think of aprons with weird things on the front or frilly. They weren't like that then. Bible days, they were very functional. Um, and hankies were like headscarves in those days. So he would say, Paul would say, bring them. I'll pray on them, you take them back and lay them on the sick and they'll recover. Well, I like the supernatural. Yeah. I, you know, I got saved supernaturally. Mm. I want to live supernaturally. So I like the idea of that. So I'm looking around at all our youth thinking somebody needs to go forward. Mm. And someone said, I think it's for your mum. And I'm like, I haven't got a handkerchief. Because <laughs> mm. I didn't really have the faith for it. Yeah. Although I prayed for seven years. You know, when you live with something, that is very real. Yeah. I'm like, could you really do this? You could save me, but could you really save her? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Fred said, well, I, I think it is for your mum. I'm like, well, I still haven't got a handkerchief. 
and this hanky appeared from a youth <laughs> over my shoulder and I went thanks and I took this handkerchief and I'm like oh and I walked down I was really honest to the guy you can tell by now that's what I do I'm like I've got a heart in the bible it talks about if you have a mustard seed which is a tiny seed of faith so I said to him I've got half a mustard seed do you think you're afraid of disappointment because it's exhausting totally for something that doesn't, that doesn't happen. happen and yeah. i kind of prayed for us for seven years yeah and she was still in hospital yeah so i'm like is his prayer any better than mine you know are we in that yeah and i was like i don't know if i can but i did say to him the one thing i am is obedient yeah so if you pray on it i will do it yeah and so here i go, go home with this hanky and obviously i still read my bible every day which if people are listening, they're like, what, are you do that? I'm like, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as long as I eat every day, most days, and I drink every day, so why wouldn't I? So yeah. in my reading that day, it said in the Bible that someone was dressed and in their right mind. I'm like, my mum could be dressed in her right mind, is that possible? Mm. And I just kind of tucked it away. So I then had to explain to my sister, who's not yet born again, that we're gonna take this hanky to a mental institution and put it on my mum's head. <laughs> and you can imagine her thinking, do you want a bed? Because yeah. <laughs> that's what she said. Like, yeah. do you want a bed? Uh, really? Um, when we got to the hospital, it was a really bad day and the ward was really stressy. And so I thought, I'm not praying in the ward. So I said to my sister, we'll take her to the car. So we sat in the car I pulled out this hanky. I prayed the fastest prayer on record. Mm. Jesus' name, amen, kind mm. of prayer. Uh, and my mum, who wasn't making any sense, didn't know what day it was, for a second was lucid and said, I feel peace. Wow. Jesus will always encourage you with something if you look for it. We often just don't look. Mm. I've learned to look for those moments. I could have missed it in the drama of like, I've got a hanky on her head and we're in the car, it's weird. Yeah. But I heard her say it, I'm like, okay, good. Um, so put the hanky back in my bag, took her in for a cup of tea, took her in, and the hospital phoned and said, your mum's got so much worse that we're sectioning her for 28 days, no visits. Oh my goodness. My family were furious. Yeah. What have you done to our mum? I'm like, I don't know. So I fasted and prayed. And then when I got her after the 28 days, um, and she was awful. She was horrible. She was, she was just, still awful. She was really mean. She was, I, I, I used to say she spat nails because mm. she'd just be saying horrible things all the time. Like, everything she said was mean. Uh. And I'm like, oh, why, why do I bother? Um, and she kept saying, I'm going to bed at nine. And I thought, you'll be in hospital by 10 if you're not in bed by nine because I'm over this now. Mm. Um put her to bed, had to sleep outside her room because my mum could go missing. Mm. And in the morning she said, I want to go to church. I'm like, no, no, you don't. No. You were like Fred when you were going to yeah, church. Yeah, no, 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 definitely don't want to go to church. You're an embarrassment. No, she would be like, no, you don't need to go. It's okay. We'll, all, we'll stay here and we'll do dinner and they'll come home. And she kept saying, no, I want to go. So I took her. Mm. And it was a calm morning. Nothing major happened except... Um, we believe in prophecy, which means God speaks mm. um, through ordinary people and doesn't speak in a weird voice, doesn't speak in old English. You yeah. know? <laughs> he just And what he said, he used me for the prophecy, but what he said is I haven't finished what I want to do today. 
Mm. And I think often when we go to church, we're finished, he hasn't. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, I'm one of those people who takes him at his word. Oh, if you haven't finished, what are you going to do then? Yeah. And so Fred dropped us home and within the time of him taking a couple of other people back home, I had two words of knowledge, which is also in the Bible. It gives you understanding of something, mm. something that happened to my mum. And I, I mean, she was crazy. She was insane. So it wasn't, and she was totally medicated. And I'm like, Lord, she's like, he doesn't know. Mm. <laughs> Lord, she's not sane. Mm. And he's like, you're not talking to her mind. I said, she's out of her mind. And he's like, you're not talking to her mind. You're talking to her soul. And I think we forget we're soul people. Yeah. It's, it is well with my soul, not always well with my mind, but it's well with my soul. Mm. Um, and so I'm like, okay. So I said, if you forgive. Now, my mum had had shock treatment, water therapy, sleep treatment, all the stuff in the 60s that they experimented with, but she'd never gone down the forgiveness route. Mm. And I said, if you choose to forgive, I believe this is not how God wants you to be. And I said, I, I don't want to go to heaven without you. And she said, I'm going to heaven. I'm a Catholic. And I said, well, I hope so, but I'm not, I, I'm not convinced. And I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to get there and not find you there. For me, that's what gets me out of bed every day. There are people I love who I want to make sure are going to spend eternity with me. Yeah. And she was one of them. So I'm like, it really matters to me. Mm. Um. And so she prayed the most childlike prayer and got radically healed in that moment. Wow. She said, Fred came home and he said, you're right, mum? And he'd been saying that for years. Yes, thank you, Fred. I've got the Lord with me now. I'm like, did she just say that? (laughs) Did she really just say that? When I got my jaw off the floor. Yeah. And she was saying. Wow. And I phoned the psychiatrist and on the Monday and I said, you know, my mum's been saved. She's Margaret, that's a nice thought, but she's too old. She's too far down the drug route because there had been a point when she'd been sick and we had to take her off her drugs and they had to pack her in ice because her body reacted so badly. Oh. So she was very drugged. Yeah. Um, and so I said, well, my Bible says, I'm over giving my opinion because my opinion doesn't count, um, but the Bible does. My mm-hmm. Bible says she'll be dressed and in her right mind. Could you see her? And she did, and she was, and she sent her home. Wow. And I said, Lord, give me one year to get to like her. Mm-hmm. I loved her because I was a Christian, and we had no nice memories. Right. So I'm like, just let me build. I'm a memory person. I build me. I don't buy gifts for people. I build a memory. Okay. Um, and so I'm like, I need a memory with her, so can I have a year? Um, and she graduated to heaven at 92. So we had 19 years. I took her to Spain. I took her to Disneyland. She wanted to see Mickey Mouse. Oh. Um, we did loads and loads of fun things. She was in in a nursing home for the last three years of her life, in bed and never had a bed sore. Wow. In bed for three years. Never had a bed sore. Beautiful. And graduated to heaven. That's amazing. How good is he? So good. He's so <laughs> kind. You look at him and think, oh, my word. Yeah. And just like the other, I've just come back from Cape Town. And 20 years ago, I was in Cape Town with teams of people from from London. And there was a situation where some black kids couldn't come to church oh. after apartheid. And I sat in a coffee shop in a place called Somerset West and just cried. 
and said, Jesus, build a church where everybody is welcome. Mm. And I've just been to, to Cape Town as a church. We have a, a church in Cape Town. And the pastors asked me if I'd like to do three services in Somerset West. Oh. So 20 years later, he takes me back to show me a multiracial church where everybody is welcome. That's so good. Don't great. you love him? That's you couldn't make that happen. No. And 20 years on, he let me see. And then the campus pastors, the people who pastor that church, mm. um, she, they were both in London when I, and I was in Hillsong, London. Mm. And they were both there. And I spoke at a sisterhood and she met Jesus there 13 years ago. Wow. And now they're campus pastors of the campus that I prayed for. Amazing. How fun is that? It's so good. All woven together. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. And then in terms of like your own journey of healing, so you didn't speak about everything that had happened to you for a long time. Yeah. Did you find that is something you needed to unpack? Yeah, I think by the, I got I was 30 when I got saved. Yeah. And then I felt like God was bringing me every abused person on the planet. Mm. And I'd be great with them. I'd have all the answers. But when they left, I'd be a mess. Mm. And so when I was 40, Fred and I went away for a weekend and I told him. He was the first person I told. Mm. And I don't know what I thought. Aren't we funny? Because we, I don't know, we make things in our heads so much bigger than they ever are in real life. Mm. And um, I, I don't know what I thought. I thought he might reject me, I think. if mm. I, I wouldn't have put words around that, but I think that's probably. Um, and so I told him and he went, oh, that helps me under understand you. Let's pray. That was it. Yeah. So I'd made it into this bigger mountain and it wasn't. Mm. But it was definitely the the turn for me, it was like once I'd said it out loud. Um, but when I became a Christian, I prayed a lot um, in the spirit. Mm. Um, and for me, that was my healing. Mm. It's more spiritual than... Yeah, it was internal as well yeah. with my soul. Yeah. It really wasn't a mind thing. I knew that I couldn't... What I realized, I can't change it. Yeah. But in... Deuteronomy, it's a book in the Bible. Um, it says, see, I set before you a choice. Mm. And I thought, I can choose to live like a victim or I can choose to live like a victor. Wow. And Jesus makes me victorious, doesn't make me a victim. Mm. And so I chose. Amazing. <laughs> and have lived as a victorious woman of God instead of a victim, which I was for a long time. Yeah. And then I'd like to touch on something you said earlier um, when you're talking about the challenges of leading a church. You talked about getting other people to catch what you've got. So for Christians who are listening, they might be thinking, well, my life doesn't look like that. I don't sound like that. And maybe even for non-Christians listening might be going, the Christians I know don't <laughs> look or sound like that. Like, what what would you say around that? Like, do you think there's a key thing? Or... I think if you're in love with someone and not talking about religion, but talking about a person, it changes it. Mm. Um, and I think actually l having patience with people and understanding everybody is on a different journey. Yeah. Um, and I'm I was extreme. You know, most people wouldn't have got divorced. They would have tried to work it out. But yeah. God knew me. Um, and, you know, my daughter has the best story in the world. She got saved at 10. She's never been out of the house of God. She's married. She's got kids. Mm -hmm. She has the best story. 
because that's what God planned. He didn't plan, you know, often people with a story like mine will that, well, she needed Jesus. But my 10-year-old needed Jesus and she was 10 years old. Yeah. And realised that she needed to know Jesus. Mm. And that's the best story. Mm. Mine's a sad story. Yeah. It, it turns out great, but it's a horrible story to actually walk. But hers is the best. Mm. So, you know, if, if there's Christians who haven't got a huge story but have been in the house of God for for all their life that's the best story mm. and if if you're listening and and you've never been i just dare you to go and be open-minded i wasn't <laughs> but you should be <laughs> and god will get you anyway but yeah. i think hang about people who will answer the hard questions even mm. if they answer with i don't know but i can find out mm. and who love you unconditionally you know that's the key is jesus loved me when i was a mess Mm. And he doesn't love me anymore now that I'm less of a mess. Yeah. <laughs> Still got moments. We won't be perfect till we get to heaven. And mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot of people who overthink everything mm. and complicate everything. And I ask God, why do people complicate things? Two reasons. One, to make themselves feel important and the other to exclude themselves. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, I've seen both of those. Mm. And in terms of like the joy that you have and the healing that you've received and even the miracles that you've touched on um, in our conversation, if Christians aren't seeing and experiencing that, like how would you guide them? What would you I say think just them? get back into reading your Bible and ask. I think we have not because we ask not. Yeah. Um, if church is boring or life is boring, it's because we are. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is so not boring. It's true, yeah. He's so not boring. I was bored before I was a Christian. I've never been bored as a Christian, mm. ever, because he's new every morning and there's always something to learn, someone to see. You know, we can become very self-centered and I think mm. that's half our problem. Yeah. It's not about me. Totally. Um, and when it's about me, it's like, well, I haven't got this and I haven't got that, but what have you got? Mm. you know if you've got breath you can tell someone they're amazing Mm. you know if you've got breath you can tell someone that they're cared for if you've got hands you can go and give someone a cup of tea you can buy somebody's coffee shop in the coffee you can buy them coffee doesn't it doesn't have to be huge i think when i said acts of kindness they're not random you have to think about them but if you love people and want to see people flourish that's what motivates you. I think what happens to us is we get distracted mm. by stuff, by disappointments, by sickness, by failure, by fears. They're all distractions for me. Mm. And we've all had them, but yeah. I won't let them win. Yeah. And that, and I think often they win. People get distracted and they stay distracted. Mm. I get distracted and I'm like, uh, no, this is a distraction, I'm coming back. Mm. And the, you know, obviously for me, depression is something I can't afford. I can't even afford to go there because that's my personality. Mm. So I can't even think like that. So the Bible talks about take thoughts captive. And so when my thoughts go to, oh, life's not, life's difficult, it's not fair, it's hard, uh, no, come back. Mm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm chosen, I'm not rejected. I can choose how I do this journey. Mm. You know, I did the cancer journey again like 13 years ago and I could choose how I do that. You know, no one wants to do the cancer journey, but you can choose how you do it. Yeah. Um, And so 
I chose to do it with Jesus at the center of it. And we can sing that, but not live it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but when we live it, it changes everything. Yeah. And my daughter was like, if you're having treatments, that means you have to have a treat. Mm-hmm. So every day when I went for radiation, in the car was a box with a, a, a treat in it. That's beautiful. And so instead of thinking, and I'd be like, I'd get in the car, I'm quite childlike, I'm not childish. Like, what's in the box? And not till after the treatment. <laughs> it's a treat, you know? Yeah. And in the midst of, we, I went to a cancer hospital, that's all they dealt with. But it was the cancer. I never owned it. If you're listening to this and you're on the cancer journey, it's the cancer journey, not my cancer journey. Don't own what's not yours. We often own sickness, my divorce, my pain, my cancer. No, no, no. The. The cancer journey. I never owned it. It wasn't mine. Never took it on. Um, And so in the midst of all of this, which is not the happiest place in the world, everyone's talking about who's on what journey and who didn't survive. Um, and we we sat one day and had champagne and strawberries under the tree and the consultant came past like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's my treat. Because <laughs> yeah. I've had my treatment. Scary. You know? And I think even in those days, you can pull out gold. If you ask Jesus, he'll show you. Yeah. It's good. Um, what does life look like for you now? You're obviously in Australia. Yes, which has been an amazing journey. I love this nation. Um, and it's been a battle to stay here. We've had three appeals to get our residency um, and now got citizenship, which is wonderful. Oh, congratulations. Um, and I'm 68 and just resigned from a job and have started a whole new adventure. Yeah. I was 67 when I re- resigned. And everyone's like, are you retiring? I'm like, I can't find it in the Bible. Mm. I did look. No one's retired. Yeah. So I've refired. Awesome. Um, And now I'm traveling and telling people about Jesus and trying to make a difference on everyday, ordinary life. Mm. Um, And actually I've got more passion than I think I've ever had to make sure that people actually get it. Um, My passion is to love people to life. Yeah. And often in England there's a saying, oh, we love her to death. I'm like, could we love them to life? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I'm on a journey. Like I said, I've been to South Africa. I'm going to the States. I'm going to Thailand. I'm going to encourage people to see the Jesus that I see and flesh him out. Amazing. And then just a few quick questions to finish on. Um, You've mentioned a few scriptures today. I'm wondering if there's either a particular um, passage or person or story in the Bible that's really resonated over your journey for you. I think Deuteronomy 30 is my, it starts in verse 11. It says, what I command you today is not too difficult. I'm Mm. like, how many times does it feel difficult? Yeah. But I never, I read it loads of times and didn't see the word command. Mm. It doesn't say, what I'm asking you today, it's like, what I command you today is not too difficult. Mm. For me, that was a revolution. I'm like, if God says it's not too difficult, then it's not too difficult. Yeah. And then it goes on to say, see, I said before you a choice. Yeah. Um, And the other one is Psalm 40. Instead, I waited patiently for the Lord. There's the first miracle in my life. Mm. Um, and he heard my cry. And he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. And he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my heart, a song of praise to my God, that many would see and fear and put their trust in God. And it's all about him. It doesn't say, Margaret, get yourself a rope ladder. It doesn't say, get out yourself. It doesn't say, self-help works. Yeah. It says, he lifted, he gave, he put. Mm. it's all about him and I was fiercely independent Mm. and independence is a curse 
My curse is nothing weird if you're listening. It just blocks your blessings. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a curse because we can't love Jesus and be independent. We're supposed to be totally dependent on him. Yeah. And so often we slip back into it. And so that reminds me that it's all about him. He lifted me. He gave. He put. So good. And then in terms of what you believe, like how would you sum up the core of your faith? That I'm forgiven, I'm loved, I'm chosen and not rejected. Wow. It's beautiful. And I belong. To yeah. Him. Not overcomplicated, I like no. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so not overcomplicated. Yeah. And for me being chosen and not rejected is a big one. Yes. But it's true. Of all of us, he chose us. We are not rejected. The world rejects us, but we he doesn't. Mm. I love that. And this because some people, yeah, can feel rejected by mm. God. Yeah. No, yeah. not ever. Yeah. It's people. And then um, just to finish up, what are you hoping the future looks like? Um, I've got a word that somebody in our church gave me that um, God was going to give me uh, a strategy to bring miracles to this nation. Ooh. Um, and Robert Ferguson is our teaching pastor and uh, highly respected and and then it was confirmed by somebody else two days later who wasn't in the same meeting who said God's going to give you a fresh anointing for healing so I believe I've always believed God's going to use me to raise the dead wow um, so I'm on more of a mission for that now than I've ever been um, and I'm looking at strategies what does that look like for Australia because it's a very different nation but he said God will give you a strategy so I'm spending time with him asking him to download the strategy mm. um, because I do think there's, there's something in miracles for this season that we're in. Um, yeah. Not that miracles necessarily bring people to Jesus mm. because where were all the miracle people when he was on the cross? Yeah. So it's not about that, but it is about showing his love and his power and his compassion and mercy and grace, and I'm all about that. Mm. So most people who got saved didn't follow him. So it's not about hooking people in. Yeah. And Christians have often gone fishing with hooks, but Jesus went fishing with nets. People don't get hurt in it. Fish don't get hurt in a net. Mm. So for me, a miracle is not a hook. It's a gift, freely given. So I want to see how it's all going to work out, and I'm excited. The Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast is hosted and produced by Rachel Hogan. If you have any questions or suggestions for the podcast, send an email to hello at rachelahogan.com. If this discussion raises any issues or concerns for you, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14.